I see writing as a non-negotiable thing that gets done before everything else. And the reason I see that, you know, writing goes first is because it drives so many other things. It keeps me curious. It keeps me creative. It keeps me energized every day. Welcome to a new episode of High Fury Presents. In season two, I interview new guests with the same vibe and the same goal to make you a better creator. Today, I talk to Alex Maters. Alex was an illustrator when he started reaching out to other illustrators and designers. He wanted to coach them and he made sure they got more clients. Fast forward to today and Alex helps other entrepreneurs stand out online and build their own brand. In this episode, you'll learn how you yourself can stand out and build your own powerful personal brand. My name is Anique, co-founder of Hypefury, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Alex, thanks so much for being here. For people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, man. Pleasure to be here. So going back a few years, I mean, I always find it difficult to kind of categorize myself a little bit because it's been quite a, a varied trajectory in terms of what got me here. But we can start off with me studying geography at uh, UCL in London a good 15 years ago and did that for two and a half years, spent most of my time in the pub. It wasn't particularly uh, impactful on the rest of my life, you could say. That led into doing a master's in real estate. I didn't really know what to do with myself having done the geography and I was like, what do I do with geography, right? I mean, I could become a weatherman or a farmer. Not many options at that point. So I, I decided to jump into real estate and I, I did a distance learning course as a master's while working as a property researcher for the Estates Gazette magazine. So that was a couple of years after that. And then I, I found myself dabbling with design as a means to make a little bit of passive income online. Just completely random. I mean, it was attached to the to the fact that I enjoyed doing art growing up and I was a, a keen artist and I wanted to sort of dabble a little bit on the side with something else on top of the stuff that I was doing with the property stuff. And as time went on, I found myself kind of detaching a little bit from the real estate interest and finding more interest for the design stuff. I was finding people, clients and stuff connecting with me online, showing interest in the portfolio that I was building. I was actually making a bit of money selling royalty-free illustrations through a website called iStock Photo. And that was growing quite quickly in terms of the, the income I was making from that, which was interesting. So that gave me the confidence to jump into full-time freelance. I, I wasn't really ready. I just felt the need to get out of a job situation and, and, and do things for myself. So I quite early on, quite quickly made that decision just to sort of jump straight in to running my own self-employed uh, illustration slash design business based on that experience, which was, which was cool. I'm trying to go through this as quickly as possible to get, kind of get it all in a nutshell, but there's yeah a lot that I'm squeezing in here. So it'll all make sense in the end, right? So with that, I found myself interested in sharing my process. So I was I was curious about blogging and kind of documenting the experience of being an illustrator. And I was seeing a lot of illustrator friends around me struggling with marketing and being seen and, and developing and growing their businesses. So I set up a blog to do what I could to spread my my knowledge and my help in terms of what I was learning and doing and how I was kind of self-mentoring at the time. And that through the years morphed eventually into consulting other illustrators and designers and then eventually into coaching more broadly, primarily business coaching. So a lot of the writing I do now and the coaching work that I do is primarily centered around psychology. So helping other people kind of get out of their own way and manage their thinking processes and overcome self-sabotage and that kind of stuff, leading into growing a business, growing online, that kind of stuff. 
Wow. So that you moved away from geography, that was an easy move, I think, a good move. And then you made the decision to go into real estate. And while you were doing that, were you then already designing things for your profession? Did you already see like, hey, this is interesting to me. I want to do more of that. How did it come to be? I suppose in terms of the design related stuff I was doing, it didn't really go much further beyond making pretty pictures for, for geography, you know, diagrams and stuff like that in the early stages. I was doing plenty of art and loving art and design earlier on in life. So I was doing a lot of drawing and stuff, but then there was a bit of a gap. So between 18 and 22-ish, I wasn't really doing much of that because I was focused on the geography and focused on university and that kind of stuff. But then gradually kind of came back into the picture as, as I sort of explored new ways of developing the brand online and uh, finding freelance clients, potentially and making money online that I started, I returned back to the illustration stuff. So that's how it kind of came back in. It was just me realizing that I had this, this kind of dormant talent slash skill that I'd been developing that I wanted to continue on with. And, and that's the thing that got me into working for myself as a designer. You weren't like really, yeah, it was, you were all self-thought, but how did you get your first couple of clients? I can imagine that without much of a portfolio, people thought, you know, who is this Alex guy? Why should I hire him? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think back to when I got my first client, it actually came after a considerable period of earning kind of a trickle of money through this stock photography slash illustration website. So I had, I had been uploading hundreds of illustrations to this site. For a couple of years, I think I got to about 350 illustrations. Wow. And you created all of those? Yeah, created them all. It was basically vector illustrations that I was making in Adobe Illustrator that I had just self-taught. And, you know, 85% of those illustrations barely made any money, but a good a good handful of them did bring in a decent amount. So that gave me the confidence to continue monetizing that skill, but it also brought attention over to my work. So potential clients and ultimately people that I worked with down the line would see the artwork that was on that site. So I, I basically used that website as my portfolio before, before I made my own separate website. Interesting. And so people picked through from the picture to your name and then they reached out and said, hey, can you do some custom work or how did it go? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The very first job that came through was through somebody contacting me through that platform and asking for three illustrations for a Singapore-based newspaper, which came as a nice surprise. And it gave me a nice, a nice confidence boost. I was like, yes, I could, I can really do this as a thing as opposed to a kind of side hustle. So a few more of those came through and that gave me the confidence to take a rather precarious leap into the unknown. Interesting. So that was actually like, it was a source of passive income, but then it became like an entry into a sort of agency model. How did you scale to get like more clients outside iStock Photo or other platforms? I was kind of mistaking my way through. So I was very new to the process. I hadn't had much, if any, mentorship around client creation because I'd only really known a few things up until that point in terms of studying geography and then real estate. It was very irrelevant, I suppose, to what was to come next. So I was clueless about it in a nutshell. And I did everything I could to kind of generate that attention. Based on what I was seeing around me, based on the, the books I was reading, I experimented a lot. So it was a case of emailing people, reaching out to people through the stock photography website, setting up a profile on Elance and, and sites like that. It's a bit back in the day now, so there's, I don't think Elance even exists, but the pre-runner to, to Upwork, that kind of stuff, freelancer.com. 
I freelance was another one. I did a lot of just getting my kind of profile down on those kinds of places and just sort of crossing my fingers and waiting and, and jobs did come through. So it worked in terms of just getting myself across the web and, but it wasn't as busy as it, as it is now back then in terms of just the competition. So it's an interesting time. So I, I found it okay. It was kind of an up and down roller coaster of income. But I always like to look back on that phase as a good learning phase. I really felt that pain of not having income coming in for considerable periods, and it was annoying. And so it forced me to learn everything I could about client creation. So I, I ultimately actually wrote a book on it. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. And so on those platforms like Elance and Freelancer, you were applying for jobs. Probably you didn't get a lot of inbound leads, or was that also part of the... It was a bit of a combination of everything. I also forget to mention that I had a an agent, but that itself took work to find. So I had, you know, there were quite a few illustration agents knocking around in, in London and places. And I remember reaching out to a few of them and I was I was lucky. I think it's because I had developed a strong style at that point and I put a lot of work into it, but it um, it really connected with one or two of them. So I managed to, I managed to get a couple of agents who from that point on kind of made it probably too easy for me. I, I ended up sort of resting on my laurels a little bit and, and allowing them to do most of the work because that's what they did. So yes, I didn't personally become an agent or adopt the agency model, but I put that over to an illustration agent. And actually looking back now, they weren't particularly great for the most part in terms of knowing how to best market. They were a little bit sort of behind the times, I'd say. So so it kind of still trickled through, but um, I still had to do a little bit of work in in reaching out and just maintaining that outflow. It's interesting. I haven't heard people signing up to an agent as a creative before. Can you tell us a little bit how you came into contact with them, how you negotiated the rate, how that, how that all went? I probably negotiated in a way that was quite immature or naive at the time, because to me, getting an agent, you know, a kind of cool sounding agent to say yes to you, having basically self-taught from nothing to becoming an illustrator was such a a big deal for me in my 20s that I was like, yeah, you just do whatever you need to do. You know, you take your 30% cut, which was the going rate really for, for all illustrators who were working with agents. It tended to be a case of, look, here's my portfolio. Do you see this type of work applying in the marketplace with your clients? Because the agents are the ones who are collecting the, the big name clients predominantly. You've got to be a really hot, hot shit illustrator to, to connect directly with the big clients, to be honest. So the agents, even though they were taking a fairly large chunk, they were able to connect me with bigger names, you know, BBC, Google, that kind of stuff. So that opened me up to some cool, cool opportunities. And your rates were probably a lot higher than you asked before. The agents did have a say in helping me kind of negotiate higher with them in collaboration, because obviously you've got bigger companies who got bigger budgets and stuff. So I found myself transitioning quite quickly, yes, from working and doing most of the work myself and charging very low, just like ridiculous kind of artist level, creative level, rather naive pricing of, you know, it's like $150 for 200 hours. Well, not 200 hours, but you know, like just really silly amount because for me, it was all about experience and I was just loving the process of being in this industry. But yes, as, as you started getting introduced to bigger clients, yeah, the pricing improved, but it probably was still way below what I should have been pricing. Yeah. Okay. So work started coming in from the agents. You were getting a bit lazy with the acquisition part, but at least money was flowing in. What happened after that? There was probably then a period of, you know, 
some cooling down? You might not have gotten any new jobs from the agents. What, what happened? Well, I, I continued doing that for a, a few years, working with various clients and bringing to them a specific style that I had developed and nurtured for the last six, seven years, five, six, seven years. And so I found myself connecting up with people who took a look at my, my portfolio and really to be successful as an illustrator, you tended to need to have a very strong singular style that stands out and connects with the types of clients that you want to uh, ultimately choose you. So I found myself working on rather similar projects over and over again. So it was, it tended to be bird's eye view scenes of kind of landscapes and maps and that kind of stuff to, to illustrate wider concepts. So you can see that the geography is kind of weaving itself in a little bit here with the with the maps, which I really loved to do and, and a lot of isometric stuff too. So yeah. and the illustrations you're you're tweeting right now, are those the things you made in the past? A few of them have been, but sad to say I, I've effectively fired myself as an illustrator more recently with, with the rise of AI. AI is so good. People are actually making money just asking uh, Dali to create images for them. They upload them to stock photo websites and they make money with, with it. I see that, yeah. I was even considering doing a little bit of that myself on the side, kind of almost like a rebirth, going back full circle. Yes, people are making really good money selling robotically generated images. It's crazy to think that people people are buying the digital file, people are even buying the, the print. and yeah, it's it's interesting. It's there's no copyright attached, obviously. Even even though the AI is digging into essentially a crowdsourced source of material that's coming from real artists, it's they're mixing up the process so much that it's yeah, it's without copyright, and any anyone can just take machine and turn it into money. It's definitely possible. Yeah. And why didn't you go into the AI creation? Well, we're talking a, a space of a good eight nine years between when I started tapering off my own illustration work into consulting. And then where we are right today, you know, I didn't even know what ChatGPT was about four weeks ago. So AI has been around, but it's only become more recently accessible, I'd say. So I suppose if AI had shown up in my late 20s, then I might well have continued my art creation with the support of AI and, and gone that route. But I found myself way too interested in sharing what I'd learned and moving into more consulting, coaching type support for other people. That for me is the stuff that really woke me up, was really fun because I got to see other people benefiting from that kind of support. And how did that happen? Because I can imagine like a couple of designers looked up at you and thought, well, I want to work for the Googles and the big brands and I want to earn more money. Was that the reason people approached you? Or Yeah, I suppose that was part of it. People were interested in what I was doing and they were seeing that I was posting some pretty cool names on, on my client list and, and they were seeing my success in that, yes. And I was also writing about it through the lens of, you know, this is what I've been doing and this is how I think you guys would benefit from, from knowing this stuff. And I think it was ultimately through my being quite active on social media, even back then, you know, in the early 2000s-ish, I was pretty active on Twitter and Facebook and where else? Yeah, those were the big ones. Even Google Plus at one point. So I was quite vocal about what I was learning. And, and that's how I think a lot of other illustrators were finding me was just through that that knowledge sharing that I was doing. Yeah. How did you come up with your, your consulting offer? I found myself 
kind of falling into it almost by mistake. Looking back, I was doing a lot of writing and I kind of see myself as a, a consultant through the writing. And that's, I was helping people that way for the most part and, until I found myself needing a lot of money to pay a tax bill at one point. I was living in Vietnam and I had underestimated the amount of tax that I had generated off the previous year. So I found myself needing to scrape together a lot of money very quickly. So that's what spurred me into bucking my ideas up and moving beyond writing into actually interacting with humans on a call leading to an offer. And so I had to think fast about, okay, who can I genuinely help and serve the best who has the, the means and ability to pay for what I'm coaching? And I'm still learning about that process. You know, I'm still getting better on it. But back in the day when I first started, it would have been me reaching out to other illustrators who, for the most part, don't have a huge amount of money. But it was enough for me to kind of get into that world and hone that craft of coaching and, and enrolling new clients through that. So the offer was pretty simple. It was just a month initially of four hour long calls for about $650, I'd say. For me, that was decent money. I was happy with that. <laughs> especially given that it was kind of off my own knowledge. And what kind of promise did you make for those four hours? What would people get out of it? It was basically a transferal of knowledge that I had picked up over the years as an illustrator in growing my business and, and finding clients and generating awareness around my brand and bringing people and traffic to my website and that kind of stuff. So it was essentially marketing support. And my promise was... Well, I wasn't very good at, I know a lot more these days about kind of Hermosi style value add offers that really pile on the value and really give them something, an offer that they can't refuse. I probably gave many offers that people could refuse at that point. <laughs> like, oh, well, so what? You know, you're going to help me for four sessions, but what am I specifically going to get from that? Well, I, I probably wasn't as good as I could have been at that point on that. So for me, it was a case of just saying, look, I'll support you with the intention of growing your business and creating more clients. So hopefully you can see that next to the investment that you've made, you're going to make multiples back because of the value that these clients are going to bring for you. And it's also the long-term value too. It's, you know, it's not just what you're going to get in the next month. This is, this is knowledge that you can take with you for the next, you know, for the rest of your career. And so imagine I'm the designer. What would you tell me? What would I tell you if you were the designer? My big thing at the time was addressing the problem that a lot of creators were having, which is that they weren't putting in consistent effort to bringing attention to their work, their portfolio and their offer, ultimately. A lot of my struggles stemmed from the fact that I was kind of feast or famine and it was always an up and down thing. And I was always doing the marketing work at the last minute when I was realizing that shit was kind of hitting the fan and I needed to act. And it was always too late because the nature of the industry is such that there's a lag period. There's always time that it takes to get to know people, to develop trust, to make friendships and connections that six months later might turn into a job, but you're not going to get it right now when you're desperate. So that was that was always a problem that I think creatives are still facing is that they're, they're kind of chasing the emotional need for it when they need it. And by then it's too late when they're spurred into action as opposed to needing to maintain a kind of fluid flow of reach out. So that was my big focus for them. And I was, you know, that would be my, the thing that I would return to a lot is you, you've got to maintain this constant outbound flow of connectivity, connecting to other potential clients. I wanted to keep it as simple as possible for these guys. So it was a case of let's focus on your top 150. 
what's your 150 list of prospects who are of most interest to you that you can focus your attention on? Because you could be reaching out to thousands of people potentially, but that's a lot of work. So why don't we just drill it down for the duration of our coaching onto the smaller list that we can tap into? And then in a few months time, that, that should turn into work. That makes sense. I think a lot of freelancers have a, they're sprinting and then they're standing still. Uh, I had that before, you know, uh, I had a lot of work. I didn't have any idea how to spend the money. And then all of a sudden, you know, the assignment uh, stopped and you were out of money and yeah, it makes sense. And so for, for designers who you were talking to, what were the ways you were giving them to talk about their work, to line up those prospects, those talks? Yeah, it was very much a case of starting off with not being too focused on closing or selling. It's more a case of slow down, take a breath. This isn't about getting an immediate sale. This is about relationship development. Ultimately, primarily, that's the thing you want to be focused on. That's the thing that's always brought me the most through my own business was slowing down and, and not putting too much of that kind of needy energy into things, which is the, th the thing that ultimately pushed people away is because I was too focused on what I can get and making it about me being selfish and ultimately ignoring the needs of the client because it was really about me. And, and that energy can be felt even through email, you know, even remotely. So that was the big thing that I would promote with the guys I was working with was focus on friendships, you know, relationships first. And, and you have to see it as a long game. You've got to be willing to be patient and understand how it's about kind of initially making connections, planting seeds, making people slowly aware of you. And, and that is something that's going to nourish over time. It's a time-based relationship development business. You can't see it as a get rich quick thing or get instant results type thing. Um, a lot of people had trouble with that, but that was the approach. And, and then, it, then it would lead into now, now you're dealing with a friend after a point, right? You're dealing with a connection, a stronger, warmer connection. Was this all done through email or how was the outreach done? Yeah, a lot of it would have been through email and social media as well. And then just saying literally, hey, this is me, you know, just if somewhere down the line you, you need an, a designer, I'm here for you. Or if you need, how would that go, that outreach? Yeah, it was a little bit like that, to be fair. I mean, you, I think it was a case of being res as resourceful as you could be and doing what worked best for you. I mean, it might have been a case of sending over, you know, voice recordings or whatever it is. but the foundation of it was generate connections, get to know people, and then express an interest in what struggles they might be having, having or what, what's going on in their businesses. And just being you know, bold and upfront about the fact that you're here if they need any of that of your service, but, but you don't have to phrase it that way. A lot of people get anxious about, oh, I'm here, you know, by the way, I've got this thing that I'm trying to sell you. Are you interested? It's not really so much about that. I found it was better to encourage and helpful for me also to say, do you know anyone who might be looking for somebody who has can offer the, the kind of artwork or design that I do? And they might either say, yeah, I actually do know someone who might be in the market for that. Or they might say, you know what, I'm, I'm actually quite interested myself. So that would be the turning point where it could lead to a call. And then how did those designers get their 150 or 100 client list? How did they come up with that? So I think it started with you need to identify that primary target market. You know, who of all the kinds of people that you could work with are most interesting to you that you feel you could resonate with in the best way that you know will resonate, who are also a very good match for the type of work you do. 
And you want to think realistically and pragmatically about the skill you have and the type of designs you create and where that sits in the context of being applied in the marketplace. So who are the types of clients who would work very well with that? Also look back over your track record and see where you've been succeeding and see how you can double down on the successes you've already had and use it as an indicator towards what's already working and who might be out there that could be a good fit. So a lot of it is a, it's a quite a creative process in that you're basically saying, I'm going to be working with these types of guys, these types of guys, these types of guys. I'm going to, I'm going to include those contact details, develop those relationships and see it as an organic process whereby if this type of person isn't working so well as a connection, maybe replace them out with somebody else. Whether that process is the very best technique you can use for generating clients might not be, but it's it's going back to fundamentals. This is the kind of stuff that will never change. You know, the relationship building stuff is at the core. And if you can, whatever tool or software program you apply to it to improve the process, fantastic. But makes sense. Okay, so you did you did the consulting. You got consultant clients. You moved away completely from designing. What were your next steps? Because like in 2021, you started a Twitter account. You, you're, you know, you've built that out quite rapidly. Take us through that. Yeah, it's not quite as black and white as starting a Twitter account in 21. So I, I've been on Twitter since 2009 in reality, but I have had a number of accounts that I've kind of started up and blitz and then, moved, you know, changed it up along the way. And so I've been on social media, been on Twitter for a long time. And the current Twitter account that I've got is something that I started up coming off the back of some frustration with my previous account, which was I'm Alex Mathers. It's still floating about, but it wasn't doing very well. There was something wrong with the growth. <laughs> something was up. It was my conspiracy theory was that it was shadow banned in some way. There was some limitation on it. I grew by 3,000 people in a, in a year. And I was churning out material last year on that account. And I just sort of thought, right, this is frustrating. And I also want to test myself a little bit and start fresh and see how much I know that I can really apply and just have fun with it, right? So I started a new account, Alex Mathers 84, the current one, and grew that very quickly in the last year. So that has been developed in line with my with my coaching work, with my newsletter growth, and just generally, like the, the main thing behind all of this content that I'm creating and writing is to just develop my brand further, to grow my audience, to create more opportunities for myself, but also the people that are following in terms of new products and stuff that I plan to introduce. Okay. So you, you've been on Twitter for quite a while. You created a couple of new accounts. 2021, you started this account, grew that quickly. What, like, what did you see were like the, the major inflection points or the major things that really helped you grow on the Twitter strategies? So when I started the account this time last year, so early 20, I officially it was 21, but I, there was a bit of an overlap phase where I wasn't really doing much to the account until January of 22. And I was seeing that threads were doing really well. And I just, and I had shared some threads up until that point that had done really well that I was curious to kind of explore further in using it as a, as a, a driving force to bring new eyeballs to my brand and my ideas. And I just kind of decided to go kind of relentless and use this opportunity as a kind of way to really rapidly improve my writing and enjoy myself and be really consistent with writing a thread every single day. And I basically wrote a thread every day for nine, 10 months. And I still write a pretty significant length tweet every day, thread or tweet. So that was the big driver for the growth, coupled with 
you know, exchanging exposure and things like that with other with other accounts. And I'd already built up a lot of connections by that point. So that was that was helpful. How did you come up with a new idea every day for a thread? Yeah, well, it was just a lot of sort of face slapping, just repeatedly just <laughs> walking is the big thing for me. And having the faith that an idea will show up. I think a lot of writer's block revolves around the kind of self-pressure we put on ourselves to sort of, there's a lot of, we inadvertently block ourselves off from creativity because we're trying too hard. I think what really works for me is just sort of letting go to the process and going out for a walk and allowing the ideas to come up and, and knowing ultimately that ideas just, they're abundant. They never run out. There's always more. And I found also that the more I wrote, the more ideas came. That tends to be the way it works for me. It's just the more creative I am, the more creativity flows. That was, it was just about momentum. I've heard someone say like the first 30 minutes of you creating things, that's just emptying the garbage or emptying the sewer. And then once you've done a bit of like creativity, then the really good stuff starts happening. Was it also something you saw? That's something that I use as a, as a tool, I suppose, a little bit earlier on in my creative, like I still, I use it, but I find myself in honesty, whenever I write, it tends to just be me just going straight in, putting together something quite quickly and, and then firing it off. It, it's, it's quite a fast process now, but that's really due to writing repeatedly. You know, I've been writing pretty much consistently for 14 years or so. So it's really muscle memory that's allowed me to be much more efficient at this process but yes i have moments where nothing's coming to mind i just feel sort of moody and grumpy and i don't not feeling it and that's when doing the kind of free writing thing comes in handy it's just a case of just relaxing maybe going for a walk and then coming back to it and then just as you say writing whatever comes to mind because that's going to still the mind it's going to open up space for insight to, to come through that and it's an absolutely effective process yes one thing I'm struggling with, I don't know if a lot of other people have that. I think so. But like you have a business to run, you talk to a lot of people, you have to manage your team. How can you, you know, with all those things going on, still find the time to sit down and write good stuff? I see writing as a non-negotiable thing that gets done before everything else. And the reason I see that, you know, writing goes first is because it drives so many other things. It keeps me curious. It keeps me creative. It keeps me energized every day. If I miss my writing, I, I tend to feel lower frequency and I tend to feel like I've missed something and it feels strange. So, and it's a core habit, you know, it's a, it's a habit that keeps me disciplined, not only in the writing, but it floods into other areas as well. So it has, it has so many positive knock-on effects. So yeah, it's, it's really important that I prioritize it and as a lot of people say you know it's not it tends if you feel that you lack time it's not usually a sign that you don't have enough time it's usually that you don't have enough prioritizing going on and so for me especially given the fact that it doesn't actually take me that long to write you know a decent length article these days i can quite effectively squeeze that in especially if i've prioritized it early on in the day it tends to be one of the first things i do and it gets better as you maintain the habit you know you get more efficient at it the process is improved and it also really helps to know that all of this you know this 15 30 one hour amount of time spent on the writing you want to make sure that you're pulling out as much value from that single post as you can and, and that's what tends to happen with me is that i'll turn it into other forms of content and i see it as important because you know you haven't really got a business unless you've got 
attention directed at it. And for me, the writing fuels, drives that attention. It brings new subscribers through. It brings new prospects and clients asking me questions and getting on calls. So it's a real driver of the overall engine. So I see it as pretty non-negotiable, foundational, really. Yeah, It's a big part of your marketing. And is it as simple as just, you know, going through the morning routine and once you're done with breakfast at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., just the first thing you do is start writing or? Yeah, I'm not a massive routine type of guy. I just sort of, I mean, I have a, I probably have more of a routine than I think, but it's quite basic. It's just a case of getting up and make a cup of tea and then have a little meditation. And then, then I'll head out to a, to a cafe and, and sit. And I quite enjoy the, the chaotic rumble of cafe sounds to sort of lull me into creativity. Uh, people around and stuff that tends to be a great environment for me to to flow into that so i'm i'm lucky in that i'm quite flexible and, and i work remotely and i'm able to do that but that's been a great process for me it's just you know it's something that i look forward to when i when i get up and it's always interesting and curious to see you know what idea is going to flow up today because i i make a point of writing about some specific concept every day some message some singular idea that i'll explore for the day so i'm always you know i see it as fun it's like oh i wonder what's going to come up in my mind today what's going to be the, the one insight that i can write about and so it's i guess it's attaching a kind of positive you know looking forward to energy to it that keeps me doing it now yeah you have over 100,000 twitter followers you have a newsletter like what are all the flows you've set up to acquire revenue my primary revenue right now is coaching one-to-one. And if I'm being honest, I don't need a massive audience to maintain that revenue through business slash life coaching. I could very much do what I had been doing, what I have been doing throughout, which is to look across the marketplace, have, a, have an idea in my mind of the types of people I'd like to work with, and then develop those relationships and speak to people in you know the DMs and Telegram and get to know people. And then ultimately... That involves getting to the question of, you know, well, what, what are you struggling with right now in this specific area? And then they'll say, well, you know what, I've got this, this problem with this, or, you know, I've been struggling with anxiety or I've been, you know, whatever it is, but, you know, I'm not getting enough traffic in or whatever it is. And then I'll say, well, well maybe we want to get on a call and we can talk about this specific problem and we can get through that together collaboratively on the call. The call's free, but if we find a way to work together at the end of it, if it makes sense to, if it serves you to continue the conversation, then we can do that. And that's the thing that leads into the coaching if it does indeed serve them. But otherwise, they, they come away with a free call. But it also allows me to get to know people and to generate new connections. And they might very well also know other people that they know that they can refer to me. So that, that's the kind of foundational process. And it doesn't need a massive network. It can be built totally off uh, referrals, right? If you're, if you're a good enough coach and you genuinely bring results, help people get results, then they're going to they're gonna want to refer you. So the reason predominantly behind building this Twitter thing is I just see the value as an asset in having a, a wider audience. There are so many things that I've benefited from in having a wider audience that supports my brand and, and kind of gives credibility to my name and my brand over the years that I, I see it as valuable. But at the same time, it, it is also fueling new clients as well. So it, so it kind of serves me at multiple levels like it's bringing in you know the foundational one-to-one -one coaching but at the same time it's also allowing me to create and send out offers through my newsletter for things like workshops which i've done group coaching programs i can sell my books and my my smaller courses through my newsletter 
And though I, I still haven't yet formulated the perfect kind of funnel process, I'm still work, I'm still building it. Like it's taking me like 14 years to, to really see it. But I have more recently really come to a, a, some clarity on that. And I've got a pretty clear sense of how I'm kind of bringing people through from free giveaway course all the way up to, to more complex products. So I'm very excited about kind of solidifying that um, product funnel. Interesting. So you do coaching, you have, I think, like a, a writing course. Some people might just subscribe to your paid newsletter. And then is there any more to your business empire? Yeah, right now, beyond the one-to-one coaching, which can go to quite high ticket, it's I've introduced a couple of larger group workshops one-off, but there is nothing that people are kind of automatically led to, which I'm, which I absolutely need to work on. I mean, the coaching in theory should be the thing at the end, but right now it's kind of like the thing. So there's a lot of jigging things around I need to do. And I have a vision for a very clear idea right now of how I'm going to productize that flow more effectively. So it's going to start with a membership group that focuses primarily on the mindset stuff. And then it's going to be a product on personal branding, a product on growth through writing, and then ultimately a product on how to run group coaching practice. So it's not really there yet, but I have everything in place to build that stuff. Right now, I've gathered so much information and knowledge that's going to directly be poured into all that through the coaching I've done. So I'm, I'm in a good position, but uh, there's, there's more to be done. Interesting. Cool, Alex. This was very fun, man. Thanks for being here. For people who have no idea where to go and find you, tell us where they can. Okay, so best place would be my Twitter, I'd say. Twitter for me is really my hub in terms of connecting with me and fo- and following my stuff. I'd say Twitter is good for that. So Alex Mavers 84 on Twitter. If you want to learn a bit more in depth about my story and my stuff going on, the books that I've got, my my artwork and that kind of stuff, you might want to go over to my main website, which is alexmavers.net. And you can also contact me through there and that kind of stuff too. Thank you very much, Alex. It's been great. My pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap. But before we end this episode, I want to make a gentleman's agreement with you. I keep sharing these amazing podcasts with you. And the only thing you need to do in return is to go to YouTube, search for Hype Fury and subscribe to our channel and go do it right now. And I'll see you again next week.